0: Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to our time of gathered worship as the community of Fellowship Church. God welcomes us in this moment, just as we are. There are no prerequisites, no expectations, or even possibility of earning God's love because God already gives it freely. This morning, our call to worship comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Hear these words from the prophet words that are ultimately fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See. The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Would you stand and let's sing together?
1: Lord beside me Thy rod and stuff My comfort still Thy cross before To guide me
2: for over 2,000 years, the Psalms have been the prayer book of God's people. And so today's borrowed prayer, today's long shadow prayer is an invitation to pray a Psalm. If you'd like a little extra practice doing this, there's a card that's available this morning that you could take home and practice praying the Psalms on your own as well. The long shadow that we're celebrating this morning is first of all, the long shadow of King David, who is author of approximately half of the Psalms in the Psalter, but then also Eugene Peterson, who has creatively translated those Psalms into common English. Today is actually the anniversary of Eugene Peterson's passing. Uh, So we're remembering both King David and Eugene Peterson and grateful for their work in the Psalms. We're going to pray together, Psalm 23. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with David, we agree That you, Lord, are our shepherd, and so we lack nothing. And with you, Gene Peterson, we say that it is because you are my shepherd. I don't need a thing. And we acknowledge, God, that sometimes such a theology of enough is inspiring, but also elusive. And so we ask that you would teach us, O God, to know that we lack nothing. We ask that you would remind us of what we already have. We ask that you would help us to be content and to trust. For it is true, O shepherding God, that you make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside quiet waters. You restore our souls. You guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so we pause to remember, O God, all the ways that we have experienced this. And we pause to plead with you, O God, that you would let it be so for others, too. We pray for people whose lives do not feel like green pastures, for people who do not experience quiet waters or quieted souls. And with Eugene, we pray for them and for us with gratitude and with gritty hope that you, O God, would bed us down in lush meadows, and find for us quiet pools to drink from. Let us catch our breath and please send us in the right direction. With David, we confess that even though we walk through the darkest valleys, we fear no evil for you are with us, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. So please, O God, for us and for others, make that a real experience. For us and for others, Make peace something more than just wishful thinking. Bring comfort, O God, to the people who have lost loved ones recently. Bring comfort, O God, to this world now living in death's shadow. Bring comfort, O God, to the people now suffering tremendous loss in Israel and in Palestine, in Russia and in Ukraine in the slums of our cities, and in the cogs of a machine that is too big to break. With David, we claim the hope that you prepare a table before us, O God, in the presence of our enemies. And with Eugene, we celebrate that you, O God, have promised to revive our drooping heads and to make our cup brim with blessings. And to that end, we ask in our hearts and in our homes, in our neighborhoods and among the nations. We ask that we would relish your victories, O oh God, not ours. We trust your wisdom, O oh God, not ours. We celebrate your provision, O oh God, not ours. Until with David, we find that your goodness and your mercy have followed us all of our days. And with Eugene, we recognize that your beauty and your love chased chase after us every day of our lives until we are back home, O God, in your house for the rest of our lives. So we pray this, the shepherd's psalm, O God, because we are indeed sheep and we believe that Jesus is the one true good shepherd. And so we pray these things in his strong and precious name and all God's people said. Amen. Friends, let's sing together that same psalm, Psalm 23. Well, friends, today we have the great joy of welcoming into our fellowship here at Fellowship Church a few new members. Recognizing that in the New Testament, Jesus kind of coined a new word for his people. That word is ecclesia, which is typically translated in our Bible as church. It is a word that most literally means the public gathering of the called out ones, which means that to be a church person or a church people, we are therefore God's people called out of the world to worship God and then sent back into the, worship, into the world to serve God's purposes. Then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's a variety of metaphors or analogies offered for what it means to be a church, to be a people of God, and these are kind of fun to think of. What are we, Fellowship Church? We are first, there's five, we are a body a body with many different parts in one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a bride with Jesus Christ as the groom. We are a temple. The church is a temple, a dwelling place of the living God. The church is also like an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom in the world today. And finally, the church is like a family where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to celebrate that in our life together and especially when we welcome new members into our fellowship, which we're going to do today. One of the couples is here. Brian and Kathy, would you please come forward? The other couple you'll see on the screen because they have possibly the best excuse ever to miss something like new membership at a church. They had a new baby. They knew it all along that it was gonna happen possibly right in this window of time that we would be doing this very thing. Uh, But they had a new baby. So I'll maybe introduce them first. Marcy and McCall Smith have a little one that is just days old, Mila Rose. They're wonderful folks who live just nearby in a great neighborhood, my neighborhood, come on. (laughs) Uh, uh, And you might recognize their faces because uh, Marcy works in a a downtown store. You maybe see her downtown area and McCall is a, a real estate person. They've both lived in Holland for most of their life and you see them, they usually sit right over there. We're excited to have them and their new little daughter joining in with us. But I'll let these two... Brian and Kathy introduced themselves. Would you share a little bit of who you are and why Fellowship Church? Sure.
0: My name is Kathy Freeling and this is my husband, Brian Jones. And Brian and I, um, I think if we had to summarize why fellowship, we would do it in two words and that would be fellowship fits. Um, Brian and I are both uh, semi-retired and so we're starting a new phase in our life. And so when we were looking for a church home, we were looking um, for a community that we could connect with. And um, we've been coming here for about a year and a half. And through um, connecting like with trivia night and the, the group, uh, the dinner groups this summer, um, we just had a lot of fun connecting with others. And um, so we're just really excited to be part of the f- fellowship family. Yeah.
2: I think the other thing that we're, uh, we have a great amount of appreciation for and that we're grateful for is the leadership model here Um, You know, between Nate Ross and, oh my gosh, Tiara, I'm sorry. I knew I was going to mess that up. I'm so sorry. Uh, um, We kind of liken it to the three-legged stool. No matter what kind of terrain it's setting on, it's stable. And we're really grateful for that. And we're, we're excited to be a part of this church. Thank you for sharing that. And just a little bit of fun about both of you. Kathy, your favorite movie, Pretty Woman, right? A classic uh, old classic there. And Brian, a favorite book, The Shack, is that right? As a book that kind of helped just challenge your ways of thinking about a lot of different things. So just fun. Great people. We're eager for you to get to know them. And then of course, also uh, Marcy and McCall and Uh, little Mila Rose, when they're ready to come into uh, this place again with their their littlest one. I have some questions for you. These are familiar to them. I'm not just springing them on them. We talk about these in our class together, uh, but they're prepared to answer these in front of you. So question number one, Brian and Kathy, and then also, of course, uh, Marcy and McCall. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I do. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? I renounce them. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the only rule for faith and life? I do. Excellent, two more. Will you be faithful members of this congregation and through worship and service seek to advance God's purposes here and throughout the world? I will, and I ask God to help me. Very good, last one. Do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of the church? to walk in a spirit of Christian love with this congregation and to seek those things that make for unity, purity, and peace. Excellent. Thank you. Congregation, would you stand? We have promises to make to them. It's part of our fellowship together as Fellowship Church, so we'll read this promise together if you're so willing, making a covenant bond with these newest members. So we say, we promise to love, encourage, and support these brothers and sisters by extending God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Welcome to the family, dear friends. Very good. And let me give you a charge. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, a great chapter in the scriptures, where it says to you and all of us, we urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we are eager to welcome you into the fellowship. Would you please welcome our newest members? Thanks be to God for you, Brian and Kathy. You can return to your seats. We will continue in worship, singing together another Psalm of David, Psalm 133.
0: as one and be the open arms of God to a world in need of love because of Jesus's life his death and his resurrection and so we have peace not only with God but also with one another the peace of Christ be with you I invite you as you are comfortable to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor those of you joining us online greet each other in the chat
3: Good morning, Fellowship. Uh, My name is Tierra, one of the pastors here at Fellowship, if I have not yet met you. Uh, and I'm here at fellowship with you uh, because this is um, because our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus and it's an exciting mission that we are all I'm, a, I'm assured uh, grateful to be able to participate in uh, if you are new with us so this is your first Sunday maybe you've been here for a few Sundays and you want to take that next step to get to know us a little bit better as a community uh, there's a great way to do that you can fill out the connection card um, that's on On the screen. It looks like that on the screen, but they are kept in the back on the little tiny tables or stools. Uh, You can fill out one of those and you can take it over to the Welcome Center. And there's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name. And we promise that when you fill out the card, you won't have to end up on stage like Tomorrow. So, <laughs> uh, so a couple things for us this morning. Uh, if you have a great chili recipe that you've been waiting to try out on a group of people, uh, maybe a wild game chili or a lamb chili, those are the ones I've been working on, uh, we would love for you and your crock pot to join us at Fall Fest on Wednesday. We've got about 11 chilies. We could use a few more uh, for the group and prizes for the top three chilies, including. Give certificate to the seasoned home, and also the bearded Dutchman. So really fun prizes this year, too. Uh, if you are the kind of, secondly, person who regularly begins sentences with actually, uh, as in actually, that happened during World War I rather than World War II, uh, or maybe people regularly ask you, like, how do you know that? But you have the sneaking suspicion that they mean why. Do you know that? Uh, <laughs> uh, if you are the person in your friend group who knows all sorts of random facts about history, or sports, or fashion, or pop culture, or Taylor Swift, uh, you should join us for Trivia this weekend Uh, on Saturday. uh, There's still time to sign up your team, uh, but you can follow the QR code that's in your bulletin, or you can go directly to the Church Center app to sign up your team. Uh, lastly, uh, we are so immensely, so immensely grateful for your generosity, um, your partnership and generosity with us this season. Um, because of your partnership with us as a community, we are able to not only sustain the mission and ministry of this church together within the four walls, but also the mission and ministry beyond the four walls, locally and globally. Um, and there's so many fun things that we participate in. In fact, you can learn more about those. Um, at the. Um, there's a massive display on the wall right outside of the sanctuary. So thank you for your partnership with us. Thank you for what it enables us to do as a fellowship of God's people together. And if you have not yet partnered with us, there's a couple ways to do that, including the giving bowls in the back and also online. Uh, and with that, um, kiddos ages three through third grade are dismissed to fellow Miss Betsy. Thanks.
4: Apparently it's kiddos and Nate have to get up at this time. Not sure if I'm an and or a with, but uh, I'm grateful to be with you all this morning. Last week, you might remember, if you were here with us, uh, Pastor Ross uh, teaching, uh, preaching on the faithfulness of Ruth, the everyday faithfulness of Ruth. He reminded us about her story from good to bad to hero to resolution and our horror story is really every story and even our story, but it was with no PG level excitement. No big battles, no huge kings with knives to get lost in, no gross middle school talk, even though somehow he squeezed all that in. Like our story, it was a common story, an everyday story filled with grief and faithfulness, common people showing uncommon Hesed love. As we make our way through the Old Testament this fall, examining some of the shadows cast by some of its biggest names, we come to a character this morning that is anything but common, anything but every day. His name is plastered throughout the Old and New Testament. His rags to riches tail is better than almost any, even in the land of opportunity that we find ourselves. His shadow is included in the lineage of Jesus uh, There's a city named after him, and there's a story so famous, it's rehearsed by the masses any time an underdog overcomes a a, a favored one, unlike last night. Come on. (laughs) Of course, I'm not talking about a football team, I'm talking about King David. Yes, uh, Israel's first real king, the best king of all, you might say, but when you think of King David, my hunch is, my suspicion is that one of two stories immediately pops into your head. One whose shadow gives hope to the greatest underdogs of life, and one that's so shady, so frustrating, so ungodly that it probably makes your toes curl a little bit. Who am I talking about? David and... Bathsheba and David and Goliath. Great, yes. And I love the way that Barry Moser, uh, an illustrator, a Bible illustrator, depicted his character um, and the difference that uh, existed both in his age but also in his disposition in these pieces of art that are found in his Bible or in the Bible that he illustrated. One is David Young and vital, a shepherd boy with his uh, stone and sling ready to go. He seems to have a bit of a swagger in his eyes, doesn't it? And a confident smirk on his face like he could take over the world. The other, from later in his life, old King David, dressed uh, appropriately with his fancy garb, seems to have a little bit of a disappointment on his face, filled with regret and shame after what he had just done with Bathsheba. Two stories, one promising from early life and another later in life filled with regret and stuck halfway between these two stories uh, that seem to almost bookend his life is the hinge point of David's life. Halfway between the, from the, uh, his rise and ascension to becoming king and then the hinge point and then his uh, leadership as king over united Judah and Israel is Second Samuel chapter 5 his middle-aged moment, his second mountain moment, his transition from ascension to power to the sharing of power with a nation, his climb to becoming a good leader to his sharing of leadership with a nation so desperate for it. Surprising, maybe, given the mention of this epic failure later in his life. I believe that this is not a middle-aged crisis moment for David, it rather reveals some middle-aged maturity for David. David's life, yes, is filled with shadowy acts and things that we would rather not be in there. And yet, this morning, I want to focus on the good shadow that David casts on how we might mature with age. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word and for the ways in which your spirit uh, illumines it for us and, and even illumines our very lives. So we, we pray that that might be so as we examine the story and the life of David. May his story become our story and he, even more so, uh, may your story uh, be captured and, and may we center our lives around how you are at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 and 9 and 10. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, "Look, we are your bone and flesh. For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in." The Lord said to you, "It is you who shall be my shepherd of my people Israel. You shall be ruler over Israel." So all the Israel, all the elders of Israel, came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David as king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. David occupied the stronghold, Jerusalem, and named it the city of David. David built the city all around from the millow inward, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, I think that this is David's middle-aged moment, maybe even the pinnacle of his career. No longer is he a shepherd boy and a gifted harpist for royalty. No longer is he a teenage fugitive fleeing from the jealous wrath of a power-hungry and insecure king Saul. No longer is he a 20-something leader of a ragtag group of refugee uh, soldiers fighting in battle. No longer is he only the ruler of Judah. David has been ordained, approved, appointed as king of the united Israel, all 12 tribes. This is his middle-aged moment. Now, I can't take full credit for this concept of David revealing a middle-aged moment of maturity. I have to give a lot of credit to Eugene Peterson, who we referenced earlier in the story, uh, and and his book called Leap Over a Wall. In that book, he, he contends this about the David story. It keeps us in touch with our humanity all of which has to do with God. There is no part of our humanity that isn't God created and God conditioned. The David story is a primary way in which the Holy Spirit keeps us in touch, alert, and responsive to the gravity and ground of our lives in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and alert to the reality of evil that would destroy or weaken our humanity. The David story is our story because it is the story of God. How God matured David, and God can mature us into a more God centered life, more into the image that God has created in us and conditioned in us. From this morning's passage, I want to take three clues three clues from the Israelites' plea with David to become their king. All three of them begin with this refrain It was you. It was you, David. You, it was you. In the the Hebrew, it's even more emphatic. It's like double-double use. You, it was you. It was you who, David. And I want to take those, look at each three of those as clues to how we might uh, grow in our relationship with Christ. How we might mature as leaders, as mature as followers of Jesus. Emphatically, the Israelites plea with him to be their king. I mean, they are drawn to him, drawn to David like like Bees to Honey, like Swifties to the Ares Tour film, like, like Lions fans to Dan Campbell. They can't get enough of David, and I think we can learn from their plea to David. First, the Israelites come to David and say, you, it was you who led Israel out and back in again, which is to say their first rationale, their first attempt to convince him to be their king isn't ba- is based on his leadership in the past. It's based on how he has lived and behaved over the course of his life. David wasn't some outsider politician coming in to shake things up with his new experiences. David wasn't campaigning for leadership, tricking people into believing in all of his great abilities. He wasn't grasping for power because he wanted to become king. The people came to him because his life drew them to himself. During COVID, I remember uh, 2020-ish, Pastor Ross initiating a phrase that we would rehearse over that two-plus year period over and over and over again. Uh, Someday, we would say, someday, we're gonna remember this time in a few short sentences, in a paragraph or two at the most. The refrain became a reminder for us amidst all the stressors and the big decisions that we were making amidst the challenges of being Christians and followers of Jesus in community uh, as big and hard and significant as those were. Someday those would be all left unrehearsed, a part of a two or three sentence summary of that era that we lived through. With just a few words, we could call to mind many of those experiences by saying COVID or masks or shutdowns or Zoom or outdoor worship, and we'd conjure up memories and experiences of those, but the details would be less rehearsed, even though they'd still be etched in our brains. Similarly, Israel's plea to David in just a few words conjure up a vast memory for David and Israel. When the Israelites said to David, it was you who brought us out and back in, I can't imagine the Israelites weren't thinking, it was you, David, who was anointed by king, as, to be king by Samuel. It was you, David, who defeated Goliath. It was you, David, who taunted and hunted, and though he was taunted and hunted by Saul, it was you who refused to take revenge on him, having the chance to kill him, not once, but twice, but choosing not to. It was you, David, who, when your enemies died, you chose to weep rather than to celebrate. It was you, David, who didn't lead us into battle from afar, but got into the muck with us. It was you, David, who didn't demand leadership, but exercised service undemanded. It was you who led us out and came and brought us back in, David. David, throughout his life, pursued faithful obedience and the people noticed and invited him to be their king. If David's story is our story, and it's a story of maturing with age, it seems to me there's a significant connection for us between what we believe and how we live. Do our practices, Do what we pra- does what we practice, do we practice what we preach, even when it gets hard, like David did? Do our actions exhibit clearly the convictions we hold about loving our neighbor, about uh, forgiving our enemies, about bearing the fruits of the Spirit in our everyday lives? I think David's life is an example of the oft-repeated phrase, we first make our habits, and then our habits make us. And so, The first lesson in maturing with age and growing more into a God-centered life is that the way we live now can exemplify the kind of person we want to become. So my first question for you this morning is, how does your life reflect the God-centered life you long for? A second time, the Israelite leaders come to David and say, it was you, David, it was you who God said would be shepherd over Israel said differently, the Israelites affirmed the vocation God had for him at a very young age as a pattern for his leadership. How does a shepherd lead? A shepherd protects, a shepherd feeds, a shepherd nurtures, a shepherd guards. A shepherd exists for the well-being of the flock. Ideally, David's leadership would not be about his own gain, his own might, his own influence, but rather for the sake of his people, for the sake of the sheep. David's shepherd-like leadership would be a sharp contrast to his predecessor, Saul. Saul. You remember Saul, who pursued David simply because he was a threat to his ego. Saul, who used his own people and soldiers for his personal vendetta against David and spent taxpayer dollars for uh, this uh, power grab and eventually even turned on his own family when they didn't completely agree with his hateful ambition. Saul was the opposite of a shepherd, one who acts as though the sheep exist for the well-being, enhancement, and profit of himself. The Israelites' affirmation of David as shepherd king reveals, I think, at least two parts of what it means for us to mature with age. One is that when we grow in maturity, when we grow in the God-centered life we yearn for, it's an invitation for us to care for and uplift others. At some point, I think we're all going to discover that the greatest gift in life is not seeing ourselves succeed, but seeing those around us succeed. And the second way in which we can grow in maturity and we can grow into a God-centered life is by leading within the gifts and the vocation that God has given us. Shepherd David became shepherd king. In this way, maturing is more becoming of ourselves, not less becoming of ourselves. It reminds me of uh, Thomas Merton. You may know him. He's a famous Catholic monk. Well, actually, can monks be famous? I'm not sure if, they, if that's part of their job description. But point being, he was a, a pretty well-known uh, writer and theologian. But his conversion to the Christian faith was quite drastic. As one uh, uh, biographer put it, it's hard to imagine a more radical change in one's life. Thomas Merton, a dissolute, gregarious, avant-garde, New York intellectual to Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk in a monastery in Kentucky. His former friends could not believe what, might, what must have happened to him. And so they took one of, uh, one of their, his best friends uh, from his New York days, actually went to go visit him in the monastery in Kentucky just to discover, did this guy really change? What's this guy gonna be like after years in the monastery? What would, uh, would he be totally different? Would his personality completely change? To his surprise, Thomas was still Thomas. In fact, the the friend said to Thomas, you haven't changed a bit, Thomas. And Thomas famously replied, why would I? Our Christian duty is to become more of ourselves, not less of ourselves. In David's best moments as king, he was more of a shepherd and more and more of a shepherd, not less and less of a shepherd. So my second question for you this morning is how are you becoming more of your God-shaped self? What does it look like? What does that look like for you? The third thing the Israelites claimed was that you, David, it was you who God said will be ruler of Israel. Ruler of Israel is a very interesting word choice, a very interesting phrase, because over and over and over throughout this passage, he's called King David. But God said you would be ruler over Israel. The, the, the Hebrew word in Hebrew, uh, or the, the, the Hebrew word in Hebrew, that doesn't make any sense. The word in Hebrew uh, means something like ruler, something like prince, maybe even religious ruler, but it's definite, definitively not king. Why would he use the word ruler and not king when everybody else is calling David the king? Is it a slap in the face? Is it a demotion that God is giving to David? I actually think it's an affirmation because God sees in David the capacity to rule while also recognizing who the true king is. You see, a good earthly king, a good ruler, points to God as the ultimate king, not himself or herself. I think David embodies this being a ruler and pointing others to God in his first act as ruler over Israel and Judah in the establishment of Jerusalem as the capital for their people this city, this Mecca, would be for the people of God, the shining example of God's presence here on earth. It would be the place where people would encounter God, not for David's glory, not for the king's glory, but for the sake of encountering the God of Israel. And I think in this establishment of Jerusalem as the capital, we see two aspects of what it means to mature as, as leaders, as to mature like David into a more God-centered life. Creativity and courage. What do I mean? Creativity. It take, took a lot of creativity for David to choose. Jerusalem as the capital because he had immense pressure from both sides, from Israel in the north, whose capital was in Samaria, and they had 11 tribes, and they all wanted the capital to be up there, and the people of Judah down south where David lived, where he was already reigning in Judah in the capital city of Hebron. So where would they pick the capital? Should it be in in Samaria or should it be in Hebron? Should it be in Samaria or should it be in Hebron? And David said, why don't we establish a new city so that we, as a people, might come together and encounter God here, not in one of yours or this. It was a third way. It was a creative solution to a significant problem facing the Israelites and the people of Judah. He got people out of their own way so that they could focus on God's presence in their lives and in this world. He also exhibited a lot of courage, because Jerusalem was known to be an impenetrable city, a fortress city, and the Jebusites already lived there. And so, with courage, he used these savvy techniques and valiant efforts to overthrow the city. What's interesting about his overthrowing of that city, though, is that no lives were lost. The Jebusites survived, and not only that, King David showed remarkable courage in saying, Yes, Jebusites, you can stay in the land. You can help me lead this city and establish Jerusalem. Fascinating. He united the north and the south, and not only the north and the south, but also the foreigners and the outsiders together so that they together might encounter God, that they might establish a place where God's people and the whole ends of the earth might come to encounter God, God's presence. What if a part of maturing with age is getting creative and courageous in bringing people together and pointing them to God? Makes me think of a person that I came across this week named Grandma Moses. Have you heard of her? She became a professional artist at the young age of 78 years old, but in reality, her whole life was preparation for her professional career as an artist. She was born in 1860, one of 10 children, and she went to school in a one-room schoolhouse with a number of other children, where she loved art so much that she came home after school and began drawing watercolors with lemon juice and grape juice as her two color choices on a canvas. At the age of 12, because she was from a, a, a family in poverty, she became a hired hand at the rich neighbor's houses where she would cook and clean and sew, cross-stitch or whatever, uh, pictures for them. For 15 years, she did this. One of the houses that she served actually had a number of pieces of art in their, um, in their parlor, and she appreciated them so much so that the owners of that house gave her a crayon set and a paint set when she left her job there. At 27, she got married to another hired hand and they tried to make it in a new place in Virginia. They, she made chips and churned butter on the side to save up enough money so that at the age of 40, they could buy their first house. As a homemaker, she used to, um, um, uh, I don't remember what the word is, but not cross stitch, but some other kind of sewing and they made something that was beautiful for other people. And she did this um, as, a, as a gift to other folks, but also exercised her passion for art. When her husband died at the age of 67, she moved in with her daughter and at the age of 78, she became a famous folk artist painter. Her painting point people to the beauty of everyday life, taking common scenes from American life and making it a picture for others to appreciate. She was so famous that she was recognized by President Truman in 1949 She was given two honorary doctorates from other educational institutions and her home has become a national historic site and that one-room schoolhouse that she learned to appreciate art in is now the home, the house, of where all of her um, uh, original pieces of art are stored. She said that art was intended, her art was intended to point her to something beyond herself, into the unknown mysteries of God. Talk about maturing with age, growing more into the person that God made her with the gifts that God gave her in art, using her gifts to point people to something more and something deeper in this world, exhibiting creativity and courage as an artist in the last chapter of life. Who better than Grandma Moses? King David, too would rule for 33 years after those Israelite leaders claimed, you, it was you, David, who led us out into battle and back home. It was you, David, you, who God ordained to be shepherd king. It was you, David, you, who God said would be ruler, pointing us to the king of kings. The hinge point of his his career, his moment of middle age maturity in in his mid-30s. However, David isn't remembered only because of his middle age, maturity, whatever that means. He isn't remembered just for Jerusalem, the city of David that he founded. He isn't remembered just because of his shady acts with Bathsheba and his murderous work with Uriah. He isn't remembered just because he was the shepherd ruler and the mighty warrior, or even because he is a man after God's own heart. David, yes, would serve as a prototype earthly king, but he'd pale in comparison to another king, Because from his line, from his lowly status as 12th in the family, from his backwoods town of Bethlehem, from his lineage would come the true king of kings, Jesus Christ, the one who exhibited true maturity. Through his life and the way he lived it in service to others, through his death on behalf of humanity, revealing his sacrificial purposes like a good and true shepherd, and through his uh, resurrection, revealing his revolutionary kingship, that even in death, one can experience new life. That's a king we're following. That's a king we're centering our lives around. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Invite you in our response this morning to stand and we'll sing of this God-centered life. God with us, Emmanuel, fulfilled in Jesus Christ.
4: with us, Jesus Christ, the one who entered into our lives. May we be a people who center our lives around him and grow more and more into his likeness. As you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.